The following episode contains material of a graphic nature and coarse language. Listener discretion is advised. Good afternoon and thank you for joining us. On September 20th, 1982, Kellyanne Prosser was abducted while walking through the University of District in Columbus, Ohio on her way home from Indianola Elementary School. On September 22nd, Kellyanne's body was discovered in a cornfield along A.W. Wilson Road in Madison County. It was determined that Kellyanne had been beaten, sexually assaulted, and murdered. For the next four decades, with the support of Kelly's family, devoted, detectives devoted thousands of hours to the quest for finding Kelly's murderer. Today, nearly 38 years after Kelly was abducted and murdered, the Columbus Division of Police, in partnership with Advanced DNA, announced that the team assembled on each side of me, with the support of Kellyanne's family, have positively and conclusively identified the person responsible for the murder of Kellyanne Prosser as Harold Warren Gerald, bringing to a close one of CPD's most intense investigations. The defendant's commission of these four murders over a 10-day period is one of the worst killing sprees in the history of this state. Skin them sometimes, uh, slit them, slit them all the way open. Uh. I'm here looking for the spirits of anybody that still remains. I have a device in my hand. If you would like to talk to it, please come forward. Tell me your story. Maybe I should have killed four or five hundred people, then I would have felt better. Then I felt like I really offered society something. You are listening to Serial Spirits, the podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Serial Spirits, the podcast. It is me, your host, Brendan Shane. With me, as always, is the beautiful, the lovely. Annie Weaves, how are you, Shea Bay? I'm fantastic, Annie. It's a rainy day here in Huntington, West Virginia, but we're hanging in there, we're recording, and we got an interesting topic today. We do. This one is something that I have really kind of picked up an interest in lately. This is a cold case out of Columbus, Ohio, that was just solved literally a few days ago. This hit the news and absolutely blew the pants off all of us. And uh, we're going to talk about the murder of eight-year-old Kelly Ann Prosser and how they just found her murderer through genealogical DNA. Yeah, this is kind of a hot topic now because all of these new DNA techniques and the 23andMe and Ancestry.com, all that stuff. And it plays a big vital part in, in solving these cases. And, you know, we'll get into, I'm sure, a little bit, but these guys looked looked ahead, basically. They saw into the future and said, you know what, we don't have the technology now, but if we save this stuff, maybe 
maybe in the future it'll help us solve this case if we don't figure it out. But before we get into that, guys, we want to go ahead and give a shout out to our patrons this month. Bethany Hammontree and Cool Scout 9 thank you for being patrons of Paranormal Warehouse. Please, guys, you can always become a patron by going to paranormalwarehouse.com, following the link to patreon.com forward slash paranormal warehouse. And there's a whole bunch of tiers that you can look at and all these cool things you get if you become a patron of Paranormal Warehouse. So... Thank you to our patrons, and let's get into this episode. It is a mystery we've been following since the early 80s. What happened to this eight-year-old girl when she left to go home from a Columbus school? Tonight, police say there is justice for a family who's been waiting almost 40 years. Thank you for joining us here on a Friday afternoon for 10TV News at 5. I'm Scott Light. And I'm Yolanda Harris. Investigators say DNA evidence connected them to the killer. 10TV's Angela Riker joins us from police headquarters with this incredible news. Angela? Yolanda, it is really incredible because detectives here at Columbus Police Headquarters on the fifth floor, they've actually been working on this case for about 38 years. They say new technology was key in finally figuring out who killed Kelly Ann Prosser. Let me take you back. It was September of 1982. Kelly Ann was eight years old at the time. We actually have this video here from our 10 TV archives. It's going to help give you a sense of what things looked like then. Kelly Ann was walking home from Indianola Elementary School school when police say someone abducted her. It was only a little over a mile away from her home. Police searched extensively at the time. Then two days later, her body was found in a cornfield in Madison County. Officials determined someone sexually assaulted Kellyanne and murdered her. Police had dozens of persons of interest over the years, but there was never any justice. Fast forward, though, to today. Columbus police say genetic genealogy led them to this man you see here, Harold Warren Jarrell. Police say Jarrell wasn't mentioned in the original case file, but DNA determined he was Kellyanne's killer. Jarrell is now dead, but Kellyanne's family says they now have the answers they've so desperately needed. On Monday, September 20th, 1982, Eight-year-old Kellyanne Prosser was abducted as she walked home from Indianola Elementary School just outside of Columbus, Ohio. After school on the 20th, Kelly waved goodbye to her classmates and her third-grade teacher and began the 15-block walk home alone. At the time of her disappearance, Kellyanne lived with her mother, Linda, and her stepfather. The walk home Kelly made every day is along East 16th Street, a very busy road next to Ohio State University in Columbus. The last time anyone reported seeing Kellyanne was at a crowded intersection, crossing from East 16th Street to North High Street, then crossing the intersection of North High Street and Lane Avenue. Shay, you and I both know this area very well. High Street is an incredibly busy area next to Ohio State. I cannot imagine letting my eight-year-old daughter walk home alone every day on this route. It's like any other big city. You know, it's a very long road, and it runs basically the whole length of Columbus almost, as far as the downtown area. And they're really bad parts of it. Right. And we're talking like, you know, when we're now, like we were college-age kids walking around this area. But this was 1982, so I think there was a little more leeway where parents were like, you know, they didn't think about this stuff as much. But still, I mean, there was really bad parts of Columbus at that point in time. So for, it is hard to imagine 
an eight-year-old kid walking that far. In the early 2000s, when I was in college, I didn't go to Ohio State, but we visited often because we had friends. It is not a walk that any of us would have made alone at 21 and 22 years old. It's just crazy. Well, it's, it's different at night up there, but if, you know, like college game day, there's people out everywhere, you know, but if it's just a, any other average night, yeah, you, I mean, there's some parts you really don't want to be walking down by yourself. By 6 p.m., when Kellyanne still hadn't arrived home, her mom called 911 and reported her missing, and police began searching immediately. Her mother told them that she was last seen wearing a white and pink flowered top and blue jeans, and may have been wearing or carrying a blue raincoat. Two days after Kellyanne disappeared, a man named Charles Richmond was driving in rural Madison County, Ohio, when he noticed a small piece of blue plastic in the road and decided to stop and see what it was. It was a child's small blue raincoat. Richmond, not knowing anything of Kellyanne's disappearance, had his housekeeper search the coat to look for a name. She found no name, but she did find a single metal bolt in the pocket. They sat the raincoat aside and forgot about it. That night, Richmond picked up his 21-year-old daughter from work and she saw the raincoat in the car. She told her father about Kellyanne's disappearance and Richmond immediately called the police. He took police to the area where he found the raincoat in the road. One mile from where the raincoat was found, dumped in a cornfield, was the body of Kellyanne Prosser. She had been beaten, sexually assaulted, and strangled with a rope or a piece of cloth. Persons of interest were immediately named in the case, including Kellyanne's biological father, who hadn't seen her in some time, along with her mother and her stepfather. Also, police wondered whether Kellyanne's abduction could be related to another terrifying incident reported just two days earlier in a nearby area. That day, a man had called 911 and told them he had followed a red truck after seeing the driver of the truck grab a young girl off the street and was attempting to abduct her. The man chased the kidnapper in his vehicle until the kidnapper in the red truck slowed down and threw the young girl out of the truck and drove away. When the 911 caller stopped to help the girl, the suspect got away. But he was able to give a description of the man and the truck. He said the abductor was a heavyset, bearded man, probably in his late 40s to 50s, driving a red Chevy pickup truck. Another person of interest was 65-year-old Walter Mitchell, who was accused of molesting an 11-year-old girl just days before Kelly disappeared. This girl claimed that Mitchell had assaulted her while on a picnic with his granddaughter and other family members. The girl's mother immediately called police. Mitchell left town for West Virginia on the day that Kellyanne disappeared. Mitchell's home was searched, but nothing was found linking him to her disappearance. After searching phone records, police determined that Mitchell was already in West Virginia at the time that Kellyanne was abducted and was no longer considered a suspect, but he did serve 10 years in prison for the sexual assault of his granddaughter's friend. The trail to Kellyanne's killer went cold for 38 years. Then, just a few days ago, Columbus police held a press conference stating that, thanks to genealogical DNA databases, Kellyanne Prosser's murder had been found. An article in USA Today on June 26 stated that detectives had recently began working with a genealogy company called Advanced DNA to use DNA from the crime scene to identify a man named Harold Warren Gerald as the suspect. From the DNA sample, they were able to determine that the suspect was a third cousin to the identified DNA sample and were able to build a family tree around that. Through the process, they determined that Gerald was, in fact, Kellyanne's killer. 
Unfortunately, Gerald is already dead. He died in Las Vegas in 1996 at the age of 67. What little we know about him right now is that in 1977, Gerald did a five-year stint in prison in Ohio for a sex crime against another child. Also, Columbus PD said that Gerald had never been on their radar as a suspect in Kellyanne's murder. If genealogical DNA had not been used to match the samples, Gerald most likely would never have been discovered as her murderer. Shay, stories like this give me chills because it's just insane that all these years later, they found him. Unfortunately, he's dead. So he's not going to serve justice, I guess, for the murder of this little girl. Um, Her family decided not to take part in this press conference, but they released a four-page statement that is pretty profound. And I would actually like to read it because it just says a lot about what these cold cases do to a family. I saw this story. I just was going through Facebook and I just saw it pop up on my feed. And I I looked at the article, and as I'm looking at the article, it says press conference at 1 o'clock or whatever time it was. So I actually watched them talk about this whole case. And what really gravitated me towards it was because we had been watching a lot of stuff on this, on how DNA is really playing a huge role as it has been, you know, the last couple decades, but now it's it's incredibly easy for them to figure these this stuff out. The cops who were involved in this case actually took part in a podcast that they did themselves called The Fifth Floor, and it's a police podcast. And these guys looked at this case and it really put more focus into it and they found out who it was. So if you want to go ahead and read that, and we can talk a little bit about, you know, after you're done reading, we can talk more about the DNA and how they came about finding who this guy was. I will. It's a little long, so just kind of hang in there. And they actually answer some questions at the end of it, because again, they decided they did not want to be part of the press conference. But this was what they said, and I just, I thought it was really powerful when I read it. Um, this copy was posted on Fox 8 News out of Columbus. For almost 38 years, our family has spoken for the one who was silenced and whose young life was cut short, Kellyanne Prosser. When Kellyanne left for school the morning of September 20th, 1982, we did not expect our time with her would abruptly end or that our future would change in every way imaginable. One moment we had this dazzling, mischievous eight-year-old little girl. Then suddenly all we had left were memories, photographs that will never age, A calendar marking a dreadful new, quote, holiday. A grave and pieces of Kelly's life stored in a box. Our family has spent many long years waiting for Kellyanne's murder to be solved. But Kelly's family is not unique. Those who have suffered the murder of their loved one knows how devastating waiting for answers can be. Nor are we the only family who has laid awake at night hoping and praying that their missing child would return home safely. Today is one of those bittersweet moments that has been a long time coming. Our family is blessed to have finally gotten an answer after nearly four decades on who abducted, sexually assaulted, and murdered our darling Kelly Ann. While new technology, advanced investigative techniques, and other factors have been an undeniable part of solving this homicide case, the real credit goes to all the local, state, federal, and partnering law enforcement agencies who showed tenacity, dedication, and tremendous teamwork in solving Kellyanne's case. 
There are no words to express how deeply our gratitude extends to all of you. We would like to especially recognize the many Columbus Division of Police Homicide Detectives who have worked countless hours on this case trying to find Kelly's perpetrator to hold that individual accountable for her murder. Most recently, this has been Detective Dana Kroom, Sergeant Terry McDonnell, and retired detectives Ron Custer and James McCoskey. Officer Greg Kolarich also contributed by developing a podcast about Kellyanne's case. Gentlemen, thank you for never giving up. Thank you for never forgetting about this innocent child. And thank you for never forgetting that you were working for Kellyanne. Your perseverance and determination, your caring and professional manner, your patience, diligence, and sacrifices have not gone unnoticed. Columbus is a better place because of your service with the Columbus Division of Police, Cold Case Homicide Unit. Please know this. Today, you have given us the most incredible gift, and this gift gives us hope that other homicide cold cases will be solved. Kelly's family is also appreciative of the continued interest by the media with regards to Kellyanne's abduction, sexual assault, and murder case. Although many of you would like to talk with us, please understand that old wounds have been reopened and our family now faces new heartaches. Therefore, as Kelly's family begins this new cycle of healing, we do ask for privacy and we trust that you will respect our wishes. Kellyanne was our beauty and our love. She sparkled with laughter and her blooming spirit shined amidst through the thorns. Her light has been and will always be deeply missed. Today and forever, family and friends will remember our precious little girl. May Kellyanne in the arms of her beloved grandmothers, Rose and Eleanor, now rest in peace. I can't even imagine spending almost four decades waiting for answers. What bothers me the most, I think, about these cases that you hear about children is that imagine eight years old, the innocence you have, and 1982, the 80s were a different a different era, obviously. The stuff that she went through, the trauma that she went through before her little life was taken, I mean, she was sexually assaulted. First of all, she was kidnapped, she was sexually assaulted, and then murdered. I mean... Could you imagine what's going through a kid's brain at that at that, at no. that point? I mean, any anybody no, who's all. going through some trauma like that, but especially a child, the innocence of a child, this kid was eight years old. Life had not even started. I almost can't even read that. I don't know. It's just, I can't imagine. And, you know, we don't know a lot about Harold Warren Gerald right now. Like I said, this is just coming out. This is just happening so they just know the basics. He's dead. He died in Las Vegas. He was 67. And he had also done time in prison in Columbus for sexually assaulting another child. But he was never on the radar for this. Never. And that's just, I can't imagine what this family has gone through all those years. And then like they said, it's like opening up this wound again. They have closure, but there's nothing to be done about it. There's no arrest. There's no court trial. There's no sentencing somebody to the rest of their lives behind bars because he's dead and that's the end he got away with it i mean essentially he got away with it for 40 years and you know the worst what it is for me is it kind of hits close to home because i grew up in lancaster ohio which is where this happened from where i lived is 38 minutes i mean that's how long it takes to get there it takes 38 minutes from where i grew up and this hits close to home because you know i was one of 12 kids and there was a bunch of us running around and it could have this guy could have drove that you know that far 
and, and, right. and on the prowl for who knows. I mean, and you don't ever want to think that it's going to happen, but it does happen. And it's scary to think about that you can't trust anybody. The good thing about this is that there was diligence in these cops who just could not let this case rest. They had to find who did it and they did and they solved it. And hats off to them because it's not it's not an easy task. I say this all the time. We're not investigators. We're not law enforcement. But to have that kind of diligence for after 40 years continuing looking for the the murder of this girl, I mean, that, my hat's off to them. I mean, that incredible takes, job. That takes heart. That goes beyond being your run-of-the-mill cop or detective and looking at these cold cases. It takes a special type of person to be able to do that because you, in an essence, form a bond with this person who has been murdered and their families. You have to dive so deeply into the crime and what happened to this child and their families to find out what what they were about, what happened, who could have possibly stepped into this child's life and done something so horrendous. So thank you to each and every one of those people that they just talked about. Uh, without you guys, this never would have happened. Well, and think about it too. We sit here and we look at these cases and a lot of times to us, it's a case. It's a face on the internet. It's a story that we want to tell that we're interested in, but we it doesn't affect us. But think about some of these officers who are assigned to these cold cases. They've never met these people. They've never met the family. They're handed a file and said, this case isn't solved. And their heart becomes attached to this. And they do everything in their power to solve the case. And that does. That takes a special person. And it takes a special set of skills that I don't have the patience to possess. So, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There's another about page and a half that was with that press release that I would um, like to read. And they just entitled it, Questions Most Asked by the Media. The family said, uh, do we feel a sense of justice? The answer is no. Justice is only a consolation prize. Without any means of restoring the precious life that was taken, there could never be such a thing as justice. We are grateful, however, since Kellyanne's killer is deceased, that we are spared the ordeal of suffering through a painful trial. And we can be thankful we will escape the miserable torment of a murderer who will spend his empty prison days testing the weaknesses of the court system. That says a lot right there. Testing the weaknesses of the court system. These people have seen something, if that is a statement that they are making publicly. The weaknesses of the court system. Well, there is. There's a lot of weaknesses in the courts, especially when it comes like, that. yeah, this is murder. But this guy was already in prison once for molesting a child. Okay, so he's a, he's a predator. He's a sexual predator. And that's why they have these lists where these guys have to register. But I mean, how closely do they watch this stuff? So this guy could have been, he could have still been out on the prowl. They could have picked him up like the Golden State Killer. But unfortunately, he did die. They don't get that justice. But yeah, they're totally correct with the weakness of the, of the judicial system because it's there. The next question they said was, does this bring us closure? The answer is no. The word closure in and of itself is a word too often used. One can have a conclusion, but one will never have closure. Personally, for Kelly's mom, closure will only happen when she takes her last breath. Today, Kelly's family and friends have arrived at one long-awaited moment. They now know who murdered her. Ultimately, this may be the only answer we will receive, and that's the reality that we face. Do you have any advice for other victims of crimes? Surviving is not a destination, but a journey. 
As a survivor of a crime, you hate that the person responsible for this crime is banging around inside your head. So welcome them and thank them. Thank them for helping make you strong. Thank them for going to prison or dying so you can go on. Thank them for teaching you more about forgiveness. Thank them for showing you that you are a survivor. A person who could commit such a horrific crime has no defense against your gratitude. So welcome them and thank them, and they will leave your head and your heart all on their own. Holy cow. Of all the cases we've talked about and of all the cold cases and and stuff that we've looked into that have been solved, this is probably the most powerful statement I've ever heard. The whole statement you read in the beginning and even the questions, I mean, it's very, very powerful. And it really does. It really shows you the depths of their torment and despair and their grief that they went through and how they've struggled these almost four decades. I mean, it's had to have been unimaginable to have to sit there and know that your your sister, your daughter, your cousin, your niece is dead. And is there ever going to be closure? And it's, I mean, I, I, I've, we said it already 10 times. I can't even imagine. I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine losing a child, but never finding out what happened. Like they said, no closure, just a conclusion. Yeah, just a conclusion. This was how they ended their entire statement here. The last question said, can you forgive Kelly Ann's killer? This Bible quote from Numbers chapter 14, verse 18 says, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty. In other words, God will handle those who have wronged us, for he does not let the guilty go. Forgiveness is not just a kindness to others, it's a kindness to us. Forgiveness is for our own growth and happiness. Forgiveness frees us to live in the present. Forgiveness allows us to move on without anger, contempt, or seeking revenge. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness means letting go of the pain the incident caused. And truthfully, hatred is too heavy a burden for anyone to bear. So, in time, we will be capable of showing empathy for the persons who refused to show any compassion to our Kellyanne. The reason we will do this is because of Kellyanne to honor the sweet and loving little girl that she was. They're better people than me because if this happened to me, there would be no, there would be no forgiveness for me. And like I said, I can't imagine this. And, and all we can say about at the end of the day that this case was solved, we know who did this, and that he's passed away, and that he's never going to hurt anybody else again. Because I don't think, at the age he would have been now, well, no, he he would have been, he would have been. His eighties now, right? Yeah, he was sixty seven when he died in nineteen ninety six. Right. So he died in nineteen ninety six and from nineteen ninety six to today nobody else, you know, has has been harmed, but we don't know what happened in between the time that he murdered Kellyanne to his death in nineteen ninety six. And I'm sure as we figure out 
as they investigate him more and his background more, he may be linked to more homicides right. or more rapes. But as of right now, they said that in that article that he hasn't been linked to any other crime in Columbus. Well, now, now you know what's going to go back. And again, thanks to these breaks in genealogical DNA, they have his profile. They know who this person is. So they could go back through CODIS and maybe link any other crimes that he's done. And I'm sure that they will do that. But this takes time and this takes money. And unfortunately, that doesn't always exist for all of these police departments. Bigger police departments like Columbus, maybe so, but some of these small town cases. But it brings up this really, Shay, you know I've been super like in-depth in this sh- new show coming on ABC. It's called The Genetic Detective. The Genetic Detective is a woman named Cece Moore. She lives in California. And they've done four episodes of this show. And it's absolutely mind-blowing because we've heard about these cases of genealogical DNA solving these cold cases. But until I watched The Genetic Detective, I had no idea how they were linking all of this together. And it's fascinating. Well, let's get let's take a break and let's get into that when we come back. Hi, I'm your glorious host, JC from Mission Spooky. And this is Kiki, the one who does all the work. Join us every Tuesday for spooky subjects, mostly in Pennsylvania. And other parts of Pennsylvania. Like Far East Pennsylvania. And Far, Far East Pennsylvania. And sometimes we talk about magic and other paranormal subjects. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and where all great podcasts can be heard. Remember, stay spooky and don't die. But if you do, contact us. Hello, this is Eric Carter Landine, the host and producer of True Consequences, a true crime and mystery podcast with stories based in New Mexico and the American Desert Southwest. We'll uncover cases such as the Toy Box Killer, one of the worst serial rapists and suspected serial killers in New Mexico's history. We will also discuss mysteries such as alien sightings, as well as hauntings and other weird things that happen in this area of the country. I hope you'll give me a chance and listen to True Consequences. I think you might enjoy it. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hey guys, this is Julia from Always Time for True Crime. Every week, I get into a new case about murder, missing persons, and serial killers. My podcast is all about the lesser-known cases. So... If you're looking for something beyond Ted Bundy or John Benet Ramsey, head on over to Always Time for True Crime for some new true crime stories. You can listen to Always Time for True Crime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Castbox, Stitcher, and more. You are listening to Serial Spirits, the podcast. So we talked about the genetic detective and I've watched a couple episodes of it. Even Grace, my 12 year old daughter, Grace is in, in, in like knee deep in it because it's, it's it's very, very fascinating. And I messaged Cece Moore trying to get her on the podcast, trying to get her for an interview. So let's talk about how they came about finding who this guy was. 
and a little bit about what this show entails and how they do it. Okay, so on each of the four episodes of The Genetic Detective, Cece Moore basically breaks down how they come up with these profiles and how they link them to these killers. So, and like, this started out for her as it a was hobby. A, it was a hobby. It was a hobby. She was, she doing, was an actress. Yeah, but she, she was, was a, finding her yeah. family history, her She genealogy. was an actress and a singer in California, had been since the 1980s, beautiful woman inside and out. She had no formal training. She is not a doctor. She is not a scientist. She had a real fascination with her family's genealogy. And so she started building these trees. But what they have discovered is that they can now use these to break down these, uh, or really to assist with the DNA samples. There's the science, the genealogy, and the history behind all of it that come together that makes it possible. So what they start with is a DNA sample from the criminal. Now keep in mind, like this case, these police departments have been keeping these DNA samples for decades now, hoping, praying, knowing that someday that science would evolve to the point that we would be able to link them somehow. So let's say, you know, for just the sake of explaining a little bit about it, a DNA sample is anything that somebody leaves behind, like spit or blood or in a case of sexual assault, semen or something like that. And to have a good viable DNA sample, semen is one of the best, like blood is one of the best, something that they are able to use in a large amount of. If you leave like in a little tiny, you know, fingernail clipping or something like that, over time that just totally, so totally degrades. Right. And a lot of these samples, they degrade over time. So most of those profiles were then uploaded into a database called CODIS, which is a national criminal DNA database. So if you have done a crime in the United States and left your DNA behind, your profile is in CODIS. But without a another sample to link it to, if you don't have any idea who a suspect could be in this, then it's just a DNA profile. You have no way to make that match. The missing link behind all of it has been genealogical DNA. So genealogical DNA are all of these databases like Ancestry.com, 23andMe, where you can send in a sample of your own DNA. They will cross-reference it with other people who have sent in their samples and basically send you a list of your relatives or your heritage. And they keep these in a, a database called GED Profile or GED Match, GED Match. So what they've decided to do is, because you're told when you give one of these samples that it could be used for other reasons, there's actually a disclaimer on GED Match website, they began cross-referencing these samples from CODIS and samples that were sent in by police departments from these cold cases with GED Match to see if they could find any relatives of any of these criminals, basically, and they were coming up with matches. Okay, so now you found that John Doe, who gave a DNA sample for Ancestry.com years ago, is a relative of your criminal. They can determine how closely you're related by something that's called cinnamorgans. Cinnamorgans are um, a measurement of DNA, 
And so the more related, the more closely related you are to a person, the more cinnamorgans you share with that person. So let's say they've determined that John Doe shares 120 cinnamorgans with your suspect. That may tell them that, okay, your suspect could be a second or third cousin of John Doe. So then they give these names and these profiles over to people like Cece Moore, who then use their genius in developing these family trees to take that person that you know to be a relative of the criminal and build a family tree around that using birth, death, marriage records, uh, social media, everything possible that you can find to build a family tree And she does it, and it's phenomenal. Okay, so she finds all these second and third cousins of John Doe. She gives the names to the police, and they basically trace it back to, did that person, would they have been of the right age? Did they live in an area around where the crime had happened? Had they performed, or had they committed any other crimes in the past? And they just keep narrowing it down until they have just a few viable suspects. And then they basically trail these people until they can get a DNA sample that matches. The first episode of The Genetic Detective, they profiled a 32-year-old double murder. These two teenagers from Canada were murdered in Washington State. It was cold for 32 years. From the time that they gave Cece this name and this profile, she solved the crime in two hours. And that's crazy. And it just, it came from a hobby that she had. So let's tie that into what this case is. They said that this guy had a second cousin when they did this, you know, when they cross-referenced all these DNA profiles that were there. And that's how they discovered who he was. So they basically were able to get names. And like you said, they start building a genealogical family tree and come up with this name. And didn't he already have DNA in the system from something because he had been... accused of sexually assaulting somebody well there was 1977 so i don't know that his sample already existed there but then they would had to have cross-referenced it to confirm that he was kellyanne's killer and because he's already dead it either means one of two things they got permission to exhume his body or they would have found a closely related person like um, a child who could give them a sample that they could run it against, basically, just to basically say, this was our guy. And I'm sure as as they dig in more into this story, we'll find out more and how exactly who they found and how they did it. Because there is one of those stories on Genetic Detective where they do exhume who they think was the suspect and come to find out his it's a 100% match for the DNA. Right. Just from the work that they did. So, Sorry, I went down my nerdy scientific wormhole there but literally as I was watching the the genetic detective for the first time I kept rewinding it to try to like wrap my brain around what she's saying because you can even hear the the uh, producer in the background as she's explaining it she stops and he goes what yeah it's like it's my it's a mind blown kind of minute like what literally I that was the sound of my brain imploding as at that minute as you're hearing it and so she starts writing it down and you understand and it's just it's phenomenal well and that's why we wanted to talk about this case because it all happened at the same time watching this show and then this happened and then you understand what they're talking about now because we watched the genetic tech we understand how they came up right 
cross-referencing all this stuff and find this. One of the most famous cases right now where DNA was used the same way, guys, is the Golden State Killer case. That's how they figured right. out who the Golden State Killer was. Uh, because of this, they they found a DNA pro or they had his DNA profile and they matched it to all of these things and were able to determine it might be this guy. And they went and got a DNA sample from him. They like took it out of his garbage can or something or waited till he threw away a coffee cup and was able to match it to the DNA that they had on file. Who would have ever thought that genealogical DNA that literally just spitting into a tube? Shay, you did it. I did it you twice. Did it, yeah. I did it twice. They said that they couldn't get viable DNA off me for some reason. I but still don't understand what don't, that means. I don't understand what that Probably means either. Probably that I wish you're I an still alien. Had, yeah, could be. Could be indigo child. I don't know. but Yeah, either way. I, uh, I wish I still had the paper to read exactly what it said, but there was, and I forgot about that. You talk about the disclaimer that they said. There is a disclaimer on right. there that says, you know, you're you're being put into a database now, and who knows, maybe somebody in my gene- genealogical family line has killed somebody, and someday they'll be like, oh, well, the blah, blah, blah killer was third cousins with Brendan Shea. You know what I mean? Right. Which so, But that's how it all works. I mean, that's how they figure out who these people are. So if you've committed a crime yeah. and you do this, just be wary that they're going to find you. This is changing the face of looking into these cold crimes, of connecting all of this DNA that has been in CODIS, that has been deteriorating on the shelves of these police departments for decades. This is the game changer. And I can't imagine how many more cases that we're going to see now that are solved because of this. Yeah. And this this story made national news because it happened because it was used DNA to to solve this case. And it's going to it is it's going to open up a can of worms and they're going to like put I guarantee you all this money if they don't defund all these police departments, they're going to put all this money to trying to put, you know, names to these cold cases, these suspects. What I said in the beginning when we introduced the episode, these guys were ahead of their time. They seen that there was viable DNA here. There was semen, there was blood, something, whatever. And they saved that stuff knowing that, okay, if we don't solve this tomorrow or next week or maybe even next year, science is going to catch up with this stuff and we're going to be able to determine who this is because that's where the science is headed. And to be a seasoned detective to understand that, I mean, that's, that's pretty intelligent. At that point. So if you're a true crime fanatic and you have no interest in doing your own genealogy, just think about it. If you submitted your your DNA sample to one of these databases, then it's in there and you could actually help solve a cold case. Even more reason to do it. I mean, it is. It's it's an incredible, incredible science to be behind. And you don't have to go to school to do it. CC Moore didn't. She was an actress, and she had an interest in finding her family genealogy, and she's now one of the experts in this field in finding some of these killers. I'm completely obsessed with C.C. Moore, not in a weird way, but like in a nerdy science girl kind of way, and I would love to like have her job. So, so C.C. Moore, I message you, if sent you an email. If you're listening, can you please come on the show? And I mean, we 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 could probably talk for ten hours. Yeah, have ten parts about some of these cases you worked on and how all this works. It's fascinating. So Shay, Kellyanne Prosser's murder is a terrible thing, but it's actually bringing hope to the families of these other cold cases that these can be solved. And God bless the family of Kellyanne because that statement was literally probably the hardest thing that I've ever had to read on this podcast. 
she took a lot of breaks, guys. You know, of course, you're going to hear this. It's edited, but she took a lot of breaks yeah. because she was, it was hard to get through. That was super hard. To I was through. watching her get through it. And uh, this was a hard case to talk about because, like I said, it hit close to home because it's so, it was so close to where I grew up. And it's solved. It was a cold case and it's solved. And it really, you know, it's just crimes against children are the worst. I don't know. I could never imagine, could never imagine going through something like that. And you never find closure. You lost a life. A life is gone. And we don't understand what that's like. I mean, I'm sure there's people out there who do, but we, we, you know, we don't, we don't understand because we haven't gone through it, but it, it is opening the door for more cases to be solved. And we really look forward to that happening. Thank you guys uh, for checking out another episode of Serial Spirits, the podcast. We will be back again next week. So until then, guys, we'll see you when we see you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Serial Spirits podcast. Follow us on all your social media apps, facebook.com slash Serial Spirits, on Twitter at Serial Spirits. Listen to us on all podcasting platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you subscribe. Follow us on our mothership at paranormalwarehouse.com. Become a patron today, www.patreon.com forward slash paranormal warehouse. Until next time, be aware and be safe. Where?